This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. throughout my lifetime. The axiom, different strokes for different folks, has always held true with respect to where you want to live. Some people like to live in rural areas, surrounded by animals and grass and farm country. Other people prefer to live in a more suburban lifestyle. Others prefer to be surrounded by nothing. Just nature, nature, nature. You look out, you see a lake, you look in the other direction, you see a forest. How anybody gets mail in these places in the middle of nowhere, I've never found out. And then there's me, who I have always preferred. I'm not against nature, not against rural areas, not against the suburbs. I think they're all great. They all have their place. I have always preferred to live and work in an urban environment. I like cities. I I find that when I'm in a city, I'm alive. I feel alive. I love the hustle and bustle. I love the moments when normally hustling and bustling streets are empty, like um, Manhattan, lower Manhattan on a Sunday morning is just a wonderful thing. Midtown Manhattan, in many cases, at 5.30 in the morning, even during the week, it's great to just look around be able to take a breath and realize that an hour, two hours from now, the streets are going to be packed with people. I just, I love it. I love being able to walk to the store and purchase whatever you want within reason. I love being able to call, think that you might want pizza or Japanese food or Thai food or Mexican or diner food, and it'll be at your residence in a half hour or less. There's just something about urban living that I just thrive on. I really do. And I know a lot of you are in the same boat. Well, fewer and fewer of you are. Americans have been leaving big cities in droves in recent years. And now a new study is giving older adults another reason to leave. Listen to this. Scientists from Washington State University, have found that even small, seemingly insignificant differences in the availability of green and blue spaces across urban areas may contribute to improved mental and physical health. In other words, the more nature near your home, the better you'll likely feel. Now, again, I mentioned my brother and uh, my Dr. Morano. And uh, my sister-in-law, Kat, are listening in Australia right now. I hope they're having a good vacation. They're surrounded by an environment that's totally different from the one that they're surrounded by on a daily basis in uh, Brooklyn. 
they're sending a, sending me photos of kangaroos and all sorts of exotic animals that are found in nature. I think that's great once in a while. They're spending a month in Australia. God bless them. But for me, on the whole, I want to live surrounded by street noise and the like. But these studies show that the street noise is not doing anything for you. Now, I'm all for green areas. I think it's great to go to the park. I love, you know, the place that I live in. It's filled with parks and it has a little bit of suburban culture to it. But the, they're saying, in, in essence, in this study, the more nature near your home, the better you're likely to feel. So the authors of the study found that just 10% more forest space in a person's residential zip code contributes to a reduction in serious psychological distress, which refers to mental health problems that require treatment and may interfere with one's social life, work, or school. Meanwhile, another 10% increase in green space, tree cover, water, or nature trails, that also appears to lower the odds that older individuals reported their general health as either poor or fair. So according to Elson S. uh, Excuse me. Uh, The author of the study, I can't pronounce the name, I'm sorry, but it's a medical student at, you know, WSU. Our findings suggest that loss of our urban green and blue spaces due to rapid urbanization may not just have an environmental impact, but it could have a public health impact as well. I'm curious if you buy this. I do think there's something to this. Look, I'm all for greenery. And bluery, if that's even a word, in urban environments. That's that's great. But these findings are based on a health survey, on health survey data collected from over 42,000 people, 65 and older, who lived in urban regions of Washington State between 2011 and 2019. And that's the other reason that the, this gives me some pause. I mean, is an urban area in Washington State like New York City or Chicago, or San Francisco, these cities have such a vibrancy to them, or St. Louis, you know, or Baltimore. These cities have such a vibrancy to them and such an energy that I don't think that can be duplicated in an urban environment in Washington state. But during the analysis, the researchers compared each person's general and mental health to various measures that reveal their access to green and blue spaces within their zip code. While close to 2% of the participants displayed signs of serious psychological distress, 19% reported dealing with fair or poor general health. So the work focused on the relationship between serious psychological distress and distance to the closest green and blue space. But the final report expanded the scope of the study by adding all sorts of additional measures like the percentage of green space, tree canopy, forest area, open space within the zip codes. Now, open spaces are great. I think you can have open spaces within an urban environment. I'm curious if you buy this. Do you think that green space and blue space is more beneficial to your mental and physical being than simply living in the asphalt jungle that I live in? 
Although uh, it's not a, a true statement for me because the area of uh, New York that I live in, it is somewhat suburban too. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. 800 Now, as the older folks are being advised to, for their own health, flee the cities and go more towards nature, do you know what their younger counterparts are doing? The good old-fashioned millennials? Millennials, this story in the Business Insider by Eliza Relman. Millennials are moving to the most boring places in the world. They profile in this Business Insider article, Jandra Sutton. She feels like a lucky millennial. She and her partner were able to sell their house in suburban Tennessee. Big shout out to our listeners listening on WUCT and KWAM in Tennessee. Very happy to have two affiliates there, great affiliates. And they were able to buy a condo in downtown Nashville four years ago before mortgage rates and home prices skyrocketed. And a few years of suburban living had made the couple miserable. So the closest coffee shop was 15 to 20 minutes away. There was a lot to do in the area, and none of our friends wanted to make the drive to visit us. It was so isolating. They now have 1,500 fewer square feet of living space, one fewer car, and no yard, but they're much happier. They're surrounded by restaurants, live music, parks, and many other what they call third places to meet people and hang out. They're regulars at their favorite neighborhood bar and bodega where they know everybody by name and vice versa. See, that's these are my kind of people. This is my kind of place to live. That's where I'd like to live. But the couple could afford to return to the city in part because they're ready for this term. Here is there. We got to get a sounder for this. Here is interesting acronym alert. IAA because they're dinks. Dinks. Do you know what a dink is? I had no idea before I read this article. Dinks are double income, no kids. They won't need the extra bedrooms, pricey daycares, or outdoor space that would crush their budget. And many millennials hoping to buy a home and have kids, they're being priced out of the urban neighborhoods they've built their lives in and that were reshaped to fit their lives. So some homeowners who left For the suburbs during the pandemic, they've come to regret their move. But as housing costs and mortgage rates hit record highs, they're stuck. So those who stayed in the cities are fleeing in droves to parts unknown. Shout out to Mike in South Carolina. Millennial homebuyers aren't just leaving the urban city centers. They're moving to the farthest reaches of the suburbs. The housing market and aging, because the oldest millennials, they're now in their mid-40s. Can you believe that? They're turning millennials into the thing every generation swears they will never become. They're suburban parents. So for nearly, we're seeing really a youthification of cities and far-flung suburbs. So for nearly two decades, millennials morphed these dense, amenity-rich urban neighborhoods across America into exclusive playgrounds for the young and childless. Now, compare that with the Gen Xers and the baby boomers. A much larger share of millennials moved to cities in their young adulthoods and stayed for longer. They wanted craft cocktail bars. You know, that again, I'm the oldest of my four siblings. Two of them made this move. 
to a more urban environment than the one that we all grew up in. And one is poised to make that move. God bless her. She's doing very well. She's going to buy a place. But uh, I, you know, certainly I couldn't afford that. But they wanted these craft cocktail bars over picket fences. They wanted walkable commutes instead of two-car garages. They wanted soul cycle instead of swimming pools. They wanted cities. So that's what the millennials wanted. So this youthification trend has accelerated. Cities are getting younger and faster. So from San Francisco to Boston, Salt Lake City to Seattle, Austin to Denver. But it's not the millennials that are making them younger. It's Generation Zers. Gen Z is not exactly thriving in these urban real estate markets, by the way. About a third of Gen Z adults are thought to still live with their parents, and many don't think they'll ever be able to afford a home. But the millennials, meanwhile, they're aging out and getting priced into suburbia. So recently, the Suburban Jungle Group, which is a real estate advisory firm that specializes in helping uh, city dwellers move to suburbs, they've been getting a lot of calls from millennials who are freaking out As their lifestyle grows out of reach, they got these pandemic-era deals and signed two-year leases, and now they're seeing their rent skyrocket. And you're having this situation where these millennials are being forced to move to the suburbs, or what they call them, the most boring places in the world. Uh, Here's a quote from... um, Somebody from this group, uh, from Huang Lee, uh, who was with Harvard's Joint Center for Housing Studies, who's studied this quite a bit. It turned out that millennials are moving to the most boring places in the world. They're moving to really single-family, dominated areas with very few urban amenities. John Natale, real estate agent in New Jersey. He calls this phenomenon, and I like this because it's so apt, and I know so many people that fit this description, drive till you qualify. (laughs) He says it used to be that he could find his clients a home in their price range in whichever county they wanted to be in. Now, because prices in exurbs have swelled since 2022... His millennial clients are being priced out of anything within striking distance of New York. People are adjusting one, two, maybe even three counties over just to be able to afford a house. So there you have it. The studies show for older people, you need to be in nature. And the data shows that the cities are becoming younger because of Gen Z. As millennials who want to have kids and buy a house... They're moving to the suburbs. Now, what about those Gen Zers? Excellent question. 800-848-9222. Jodie Foster, who is a terrific actress, she's starring in, I saw a uh, CBS Sunday Morning profile on her this weekend. Uh, I think she's starting in the new se- starring in the new season of True Detective. She's a great actress. She was great in uh, Taxi Driver, obviously Silence of the Lambs, Contact. You know, I'm a sucker for a good alien movie. Um, what else was she? Oh, the brave one. If you like radio, that's a must see. Jodie Foster has been hit by social media backlash for her comments on Generation Z. Ah, yeah. So Generation Z, if I'm clear, I got to double check this, but I believe Generation Z is anybody born between 1997 and 2012. So 
Now these people are in the workforce. We work with Gen Zers. And I have to tell you, you know, I think Jodie Foster's comments are correct. So this is what she said to The Guardian. They're really annoying, especially in the workplace. They're like, no, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to come in at 1030. Or in emails, I'll tell them, this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they're like, why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? So when asked what she thought young actors needed to know, Jodie Foster added, they need to learn how to relax, how to not think about it so much, and how to come up with something that's theirs. Well, social media is not at all impressed by her comments. Some Twitter comments accused Jodie Foster of being divisive and pointing out that history has seen many generations criticize the one that came after. Well, that's true, but that doesn't mean she's wrong. Many also argued that older generations have a tendency to slam younger people while not taking accountability for their own roles in creating the present-day society that Gen Z grew up in. One person tweeted, Criticizing an entire generation reveals more about yourself than the actual said generation. Well, that's ridiculous. She's not saying every single person of Generation Z embodies these characteristics. What she's saying is that in her experience, at least what I took it as, with her experience on the whole, this is what Generation Z embodies. A second person adds, Jodie Foster blanking on Generation Z is so very boring. Surely every single generation as they hit late teens, early 20s, was criticized for the same sorts of things. And if it's so convenient... And it's so convenient that we forget exactly how arrogant, lazy, ridiculous we were in our youth. I wonder if that's true. Maybe everyone is this way in their late teens, early 20s. I don't think so. I really don't. I really do think it's worse than generation with Generation Z. I, you know, I've known millennials. I've known baby boomers. I've known Generation Xers. And yes, I've known some people of the greatest generation. And I really do think the Generation Zers are by far the most annoying. Honestly. And to work with, the least dependable for all the reasons that uh, Jodie Foster has cited here. Now, I I think Jodie Foster has been forced to apologize. Now, this is one of those apologies that you make when you have um, a television show that's coming out and you don't want to be blackballed by Generation Z or anybody else. But, um, yeah, no, I, maybe she hasn't. But, uh, I mean, I, it looks like she's couching her comments a little bit. Doesn't look like she's backing off. But Je- uh, Jody Foster says Generation Z is really annoying. So uh, comment on any aspect of that that you like. Nature is good for you, newsflash. Uh, young people want to live in cities, but they're being forced to live in suburbs. And Jody Foster says Generation Z is really Annoying. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, you have anything to add when it comes to uh, Generation Z? We've worked with a few Generation Zers here. About why they're not moving or leaving or staying? No, about what Jodie Foster is saying. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what she's thinking. <laughs> really? You don't agree? No. <laughs> why? We, uh, okay, all right, well, so no. be it. Uh, Tony, what about you? I'm along with Matt. You know, I mean, 
I don't get it. You know, she, that's what they do is what they do. I mean, I, I'm in a different age bracket. You know, when I was their age, I was doing my own thing. So I get it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to look, look, turn my nose up at them. All right. Well, I I, uh, I am with Jody Foster on this, but who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Matt and um, Tony are more worldly and more experienced in dealing with a a better pool of generations ears than um, than I've had the opportunity to do so. All right. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tom in New Jersey. Hi, Tom. How you doing, buddy? Listen. Oh, this is listener of the week, Tom. I didn't realize that. Well, I wouldn't have kept I, I, you I waiting. It was last week. It is. It is me. Well, it goes yes. Wednesday to Wednesday. You have one more day to your your reign. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, then then I will pontificate upon you. Uh, I, there was a time. Now I'm I'm old enough. I'm seventy six. There was a time when my dream was to live in the city. It was the perfect place to retire. You didn't have to walk anywhere too far. You could get a cab. You could get a subway. You could go to any club. You could go to a different restaurant every night for the rest of your life and never have to double up. No one my age wants to live in the city anymore because you don't even want to walk on the street. You're, you're afraid to walk on the street. The city is not what it used to be. I don't, I don't know how the young people even want to be there. And plus, with the Internet, they, could, they can move anywhere they want. They don't have to go to a bar anymore. They can have contact with people, mm. their, kind of con- their kind of contact, uh, every night of the week, all night long. So, so it's, it's really, it's just, it, it's, it's robbing us of what the cities used to give us, which was that interplay. Within a block on New York City, you had as many people living as in the town I lived up, I grew up in. You, you, you just can't, you can't replace that anywhere in, in a suburban environment. Well, I uh, yeah, I hear you. I mean, look, but the one thing that I'm curious about based on what you said is, you know, back 35 years ago, crime rates, not just in New York City, but in most cities in America were much higher than they were now. Why weren't you afraid 35 years ago? Check the crime rates and check where the crime rates were in, in, in my my time. When I went into the city, I knew where to go. I knew where not to go now. I don't know where not to go. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Because, because there, there is no safe place. I mean, if you wanted something, if you wanted to drive down in the old days before Giuliani, you, you could drive down 42nd Street and you could have women walk up to the car and, and, and stick themselves in the car trying to solicit you if you wanted that. But, but if, you, if you wanted to stay away from something, you, you knew exactly you could go to the Upper East Side, you could go to the Upper West Side, you could go down to the village, you could do whatever you want and you, you knew what was there. Now... I really don't know now, you know, I, I can go to a Broadway show and come out and be mugged on the way out of the Broadway show. Right. What do you happen. what do you make, though, Tom, of what they're claiming in this study that especially when it comes to older adults, that nature and greenery is directly proportional um, to the health of the person? I can I <laughs> they, Air is air. I mean, you get more air, you get more oxygen when you're out in, in the woods, and it's great to be out in the woods, okay? I went to school in Michigan. It was like it was like a culture shock to me. I'd never, I'd never been in a place like that in my life. I grew up in New Jersey. But, but it's just, I, I mean, in the city, the city, has, the city has, has an enormous amount of green space. I mean, uh, you, you, you can walk right. in Central Park and see somebody for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Right, well, they're not just so, talking New York here. They're talking Washington and, and wherever else. Well, I've been to Washington. Washington, first of all, Washington on the weekend, there's no one around. Have you ever been there? 
I mean, everybody's out of town. You go to Washington on the weekend, <laughs> you can get into any club you want. I mean, because they, they all lit out of town like crazy. It's like, it's like New York City in the summer, everybody going to, to the Hamptons. There, there's nobody in town. So, so I, I just don't, I just don't know why they, they think there isn't enough green space. I mean, half of Washington, you got to walk a quarter mile to get to a building. Yeah, that's why I'm viewing this very skeptically, Tom. Tom, thank you. Give our best to Janice. Enjoy the last day will, of your your, your your reign. Thank, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Michael is in Manhattan. Hi, Michael. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Russell's in White Plains. Hello, Russell. Oh, hey, Frank. I think cha- things change with Aton Pats. But, you know, Jodie Foster and her mom allowed Jodie Foster to be sexually exploited by Scorsese and Taxi Driver. So, you know, I don't know what she's criticizing other people in. And I kind of <laughs> like to know what Tony... <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait. wait so, um, you know, I- I've seen Taxi Driver many times. She's not nude in that film or anything. She's doing things inappropriate to a 13-year-old or 12-year-old girl, which is what she was being asked to do. But, but, but Frank, I'd really like to know what Tony was doing at that age when he, he brought that up. But I would really like to talk about the professor really quick. Which, uh, which professor? John Banzaff? Yes, sir. Sure, Banzaff. go ahead. Yeah, I agree, I agree with him. He, you know, about Claudine Gay, he was right. She was asked a loaded question. Um but I'd lo- I wish you'd ask him about anti-slap laws, you know, strategic lawsuits against public participation that, that gets journalists sh- uh, silenced. And, you know, in 2003, I was out there with millions of people uh, protesting Bush and his plans for war, and it was ignored by the media. And it was ignored because we were told by Bloomberg, you can't go on the Great Lawn in Central Park. It ruined the grass. And we were kettled up and dispersed. That's why these people now know. 20 years later, don't go along with this. And I wish people who finance and supply the Zionist war machine in the U.S. would feel the pain of missing an appointment or being late. It's nothing like being buried under right, water. Right, but okay, wait, 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 okay. Like, so the guy, the guy that I played the audio from that was trying to get to Brooklyn to, um, right. you know, to, to pick up his daughter, right? How does right. keeping that guy from picking up his daughter, how does that do anything to, as you would characterize it, slow down the Zionist war machine. Well, if it stops another hundred children from being had, no, but but it's not. It's not. It's going to keep somebody from getting to work. No, it's going to stop the Zionist project. No, it it won't. Yeah, yes, they're like George Metesky in Israel. They're crying out. Stop me before I bomb again. Israelis and their Zionist project. Yeah, Russ, they I, cannot admit. Uh, Russ, okay, I, I don't right, think you're. Right. I don't think you're right at all. I mean, in fairness, you think anybody in Washington that's voting on the military budget is going to be affected if that guy is inconvenienced? The only thing these groups, and it's not just the anti-Israeli protesters. It's it's everybody that does this kind of conduct. Um. The only thing that you do when you keep someone from getting to work or keep someone from getting to the airport to get their flight or keep someone from picking up their child or, God forbid, as you heard uh, Professor Banzaf, uh, prevent an ambulance from getting to the hospital, the only thing you do is make enemies. The only thing you do is lose supporters. So, I mean, if, it, if in your brain you think this is going to slow down the Zionist war machine, it absolutely will not. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, good morning. First of all, uh, Mr. Russell, uh, using that term Zionist war machine 
is uh, using a code word that anti-Semites use all the time. And I've never heard Russell condemn Hamas. He always has harsh words for Israel and Jewish people, but never for Hamas. I wonder why that is. But to the point I was calling to make about Jody Foster, you know, if someone called me as an employer and said, I'm not feeling it today, I'm not coming in, you know what my response would be? You're fired, okay? She and other people of her generation, because I believe she's in her early 60s, have created this environment where young people feel they can get away with stuff like that, and then she has a nerve to complain about it. You know, the bosses of these young people, they're not millennials or Generation X or Generation Z. These are people in her generation. And they've set a a, a standard where people feel they can get away with stuff like that. It's time for people to toughen up. And if you don't like the way these people are behaving, take action. If someone, like I said, if, if, if people aren't showing up, fire them. If they're if they're slacking off, make them work harder. Well, uh, so don't David, l- I, I don't know what Jody Foster does as a producer of movies or television shows, but let's say she does, right? Let's say she does keep firing the Generation Z folks, and let's say um, that the repeated patterns that she's seeing in hiring folks of all ages makes it more likely that these characteristics are exhibited in Generation Z people. I mean, doesn't that lend some credence to what she's saying, if that's the case? No, because, listen, I've never actually had to hire anyone, but I've observed hiring when I worked in retail. You have to carefully screen people, and I think you covered this last week with someone with a, uh, returning a cup of coffee. Right, right. You have to carefully screen people before you hire them. One of my former employers wouldn't hire people who came to apply for a job without a pen or a pencil. That's how he screens people. If someone is going to behave that way, if they're going to show up with their pants hanging down or with a, with a lackadaisical attitude, you don't hire them and you save yourself that frustration. And that is regardless of how old they are. But I do agree with her in one thing. There is a level of indifference among the younger generation that I observe as a blind person walking around New York City that I do find disconcerting. And I don't know what's causing it, but whenever I need help crossing the street or anything like that, if it's someone in the age range of under 30, it's almost impossible Mm -hmm. to get any kind of assistance at all. And I I am actually worried about the future of our country if that's the majority of young people, because that's scary. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank you, David. I, I think, you know, in terms of the latter part of what you said, you're actually kind of backing up what Jodie Foster is saying and uh, belying the uh, propaganda, the uh, pro-Gen Z propaganda that Tony and Matt Blaze are putting out there. But also, I think, um, as far as the first part of what you said, there's no guarantee that Jodie Foster doesn't do that. Maybe she does. Maybe she does fire um, Gen, you know, Gen Z people that aren't up to snuff as it was. All right, 800-848-9222. Lisa is in Connecticut. Hi, Lisa. All good points there, Frank. You, thank you. You thank know, you. Uh, David's great caller. Everybody's uh, okay. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, did you ever hear about grounding? Grounding uh, is that? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, so grounding is a, a procedure where basically you take your shoes off, you take your socks off, and you basically just step into the grass, step into the dirt, the sand, whatever. And it actually has some medical benefits for us. Like if you even just take a second just to walk around in the grass barefoot, 
it actually does something oh. to our bodies medically. Oh, that's interesting. So there is something to be, uh, yeah, and a lot of people do that you never heard about it, but it's part of the whole meditation and, you know, people like me that carry crystals around in the pocket and stuff like that. We do this type of thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, I, you, you know a little bit about me. I grew up in Connecticut. I love Connecticut because the woods, but I had to get out and break out to the big city. So I love the energy of the city. Like when I lived in Manhattan and Midtown, it was like a different dynamic, like what you're talking about, like, boom, you hit the ground running and everybody's like, ready to go, walk out of work, going to Grand Central, going to Penn Station, this is that. You got the energy of the city going to your corporate job, this is that, which is really cool. But then, you know, there's still that part of me that wanted me to go back to the woods, back to hiking, back to doing whatever I did in nature also, too. So there's something to be said about even if you could just find a little park, like there's a bunch of little parks, like, in your neighborhood, if you could go for 10, 15 minutes, right, at the beginning of your day or at a break or whatever, and just go be in nature, go see the swans in the lake, in the, your park or the ducks or whatever, the little geese, whatever, it actually gives you some peace of mind. You could be in nature for a second, and it refreshes you, and you get back on point. I don't doubt it. Hey, Lisa, thank you. Great call. I appreciate the thought. All right, we're going to continue with your calls in a moment. Uh, we're also going to go through the mail, uh, 800-848-9222. If you want to email me, you can do so, frank.morano at uh, redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hoovering by my suitcase, trying to find a warm place to spend the night. Heavy rain falling Seems I hear your voice calling It's all right Forty-one minutes after the hour This is uh, Brooke Benton Singing about the peach state Um, You know what I didn't realize until a minute ago? I guess I should have, I didn't think about it Is Elias is Generation Z I'm trying to think if he exhibits the characteristics of Generation Z that so irk Jodie Foster and me. I think for the most part, the answer is no. You know, he doesn't show up late or anything to call out last minute as some other Generation Z people have done. But I don't get the sense that he really necessarily goes the extra mile. I don't get the sense that, you know, he's he's trying to show that kind of millennial or or Generation X oomph. You know, we'll revisit this. Uh, those of you that are holding, I'll try and get to you. But we'll revisit this. I'm going to invite Gener- uh, Jeremy Murphy back on the show next, work, uh, next week. He wrote a book all about this, quite frankly, 
all about how Generation Z is ruining the workplace. So I'm going to bring up these these um, Jody Foster comments with him. We'll, we'll have him back one day next week. All right. Um, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. Meantime, there's a lot of you that would like to be heard in the written form. Let's go to email. Uh, This person named Frank writes, is Trump guilty of insurrection? Yes. Trump, by calling January 6th jailed insurrectionists hostages, admits to his responsibility to January 6th. As As well, he has stated he would release from custody another nail in his coffin. How you can support this PRK beyond me. I don't oh, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. What does MAGA really even mean? Support the men in blue. He caused death and injury to Capitol Police. Well, just for the sake of public record, you know, I'm not looking to defend Donald Trump on January 6th, but just for public record, you know, he did not cause death to the Capitol Police. There are no uh, Capitol Police that died on January 6th. Brian Sicknick did die... Um, what they determined was from natural causes. There were Capitol Police officers that subsequently killed themselves, but none of them died on uh, January 6th. The only people that died on January 6th were Trump supporters. So I, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's entirely true. I'm not defending Trump at all, but I don't think your characterization of that is accurate at all. Boy, this is lengthy. I'm going to do an abbreviated version of this. Mr. Morano, this is from Charles. Listening to your radio broadcast several nights ago concerning giving 16 years old year olds the right to vote gave me pause to think and consider your position. I'm sure you read The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. I recall a story from that book about a young Marine who returned home from fighting in the South Pacific. He was picking up his mother, the local librarian, as he noticed a group of young people creating loud and horseplay in the back of the library. He told his mother that he would take care of it. She said, they're just 18 and 19 year olds. What were you doing at that age? He replied, fighting for my life on Guadalcanal. In Maryland, the legislature has passed two laws concerning juveniles. Uh, One was child interrogation protection, and the three other was juvenile justice reform legislation. All the counties, cities, states, attorneys, and law enforcement officials are opposed to these laws. Um, I grew up knowing right from wrong. Like you, I was mature for my age group in high school. I went to church on Sundays, played sports, and made National Honor Society. Then went to college, served six years in Army as a medic, became a hospital pharmacist, and went to a dental school and residency. Now, this is very, very lengthy. But at the end of this email, I have no idea if Charles is for letting 16-year-old votes or not. I still don't know. I mean, you know, they teach you when you're writing an essay. Start right away in the first paragraph with a thesis that you then prove in the rest of the essay. That's a good rule of thumb for emailers. If you're going to email me about something we've talked about on the show and you're you're emailing me to express an opinion, put it right there. Right, first sentence. I agree with you on blank. I disagree with you on blank. And then some supportive material. 
All right, Jeff writes on the subject, Dave Chappelle, Frank, watched his latest show from Washington, D.C. Funny. He is very talented. If people don't like him, don't watch. First Amendment in action. Jeff in North Carolina. All right, Ray in the Catskills on the subject of Stephen King. Frank, Stephen King used to frequent the Mohunk Preserve outside of New Paltz. My late husband was employed there in a high enough position that he dined at Stephen King's table. He said Stephen King had the scariest eyes he ever saw. Huh. Perhaps he did kill John Lennon after all. All right. Um, let's see here. Mike writes, hello, Frank. We're just a few days into 2024. So those Happy New Year's greetings have reached their expiration date. Here's mine for 2024. No more fist bumps. I get it. People don't like the handshake for for its germ-spreading tendencies. But no more bumping the fist for me. If a handshake is not on your playlist of greetings and salutations, so be it. I'm adding the head nod or slight bow. Uh, an acknowledgement of your presence, no close contact, so all will be good for both parties. So if we meet on the street, which is rather unlikely, one of these two will have to suffice. Thanks, as always, for giving us always great radio, mostly. Mike out. Well, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, Denise writes, Hi, Frank. Subject, oy vey, Frank. You know when you get an oy vey, Frank, you know where this is going. Hi, Frank. I admire a lot about you and your show, but you knew there was going to be a but. Please, please check the facts on the history of Israel's endless abuse of Palestinians. Friends of mine go to Israel in the West Bank and know the facts. Israel has treated Palestinians like dirt for decades. Children in Gaza who need amputations after bombing by Israel do not get anesthesia. OMG! Israel has blocked medical supplies, anesthesia, food from entering Gaza. Plenty of these, but stopped at the border by you-know-who. Check out Democracy Now! on CUNY TV, and she provides a link. I am so disappointed in the laziness of people here in the acceptance of lies. Thanks, Denise. So, honestly, I don't know what I said or did that she was responding to. So I wrote her back. I said, what did I say that was inaccurate? So far, I have not heard. Uh, Ellen writes on the subject of Marvin Barish. Oh, Frank. This was the fellow, by the way, whose great uncle was on that World War I ship that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, Frank, you could hear the heartfelt pain and concern in Marvin Barish's voice when he spoke. It's obvious that he really cares as he spoke about his great uncle, even though this happened over 100 years ago. Actually, I didn't think I'd be much interested in this topic, but it turned out to be the complete opposite. Another example of why you and your show are so unique. Thank you, Ellen. That's very nice. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Paul writes, on the subject of a last meal... I would have either good quality pizza or a great Coney Island hot dog for my last meal. The main reason for this email is when you mentioned that you could crash and die in your car in the Hudson River and never get your last meal. Americans eat too much. Seriously. My Italian gal's parents live in Peekskill. I've traveled some dangerous roads in my 67 years, but there's a section of road near Bear Mountain, I think Route 6 or 202. I can testify that as one... A precarious road, especially windy, rainy, and at night. Awful. Lots of rain, lots of trains up there in the Hudson Valley. Good night. All right. Well, I, I still I don't know what that means necessarily. All right. Um, 
Let's see here. Let me do, um, oh, these are a few text messages that I've got from people. And as always, when you send me a text, if you can just include your name, because I don't have everyone's numbers saved. This person did not um, did not include their name. Can you describe your career trajectory as a talk radio producer? Was Curtis Lee always supportive? Ah, that's a good question. Um, well, so Curtis was not always supportive, but he was mostly supportive, except at the very beginning. See, I was an intern on the show that uh, that Curtis was co-hosting, and then the producer decided to leave. And I wanted to apply to replace this producer. And uh, all the other people that were on the show, uh, Warner Wolf, George Weber, um, uh, Ron Kuby, they all were very supportive of me. Curtis was not. He wanted someone with more experience uh, that was producing another show. And um, ultimately, uh, you know, they gave me an opportunity to do it on a temporary basis until they found someone more qualified and more experienced. So they hired a more experienced person. That guy turned out to be a disaster. And they had me be basically a tape editor, an associate producer in the meantime. And then when they got rid of that guy, they went back to having me do it temporarily. And then I just kind of stayed there. And then uh, that, that that was about a, a 10-year partnership, roughly, or 12-year partnership of me producing various Curtis shows on various different stations and various different radio companies. So aside from that early, early blip, Curtis was incredibly uh, supportive and very supportive of me getting the opportunity to do different things on the air. Uh, but for Curtis's advocacy... I don't know that I would have gotten uh, the opportunity to, uh, you know, to be on the radio at all. So I appreciate that very much. And that's why people ask, why don't you get upset when Curtis says this or that? Because without Curtis, I don't even know that I'd be here. So how can you get upset about that? So uh, so that's that. I hope that answers your question. All right. Um, not going to be able to get to the rest of these. But if we can't get to it today, hopefully we will on the next edition of... Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. And the Supremes, uh, a classic. I, I love this song. And uh, this song um, goes out to Todd Bellow, who is celebrating his birthday today and is a big fan of 1970s R&B. I met Todd years ago 
uh, when we were both volunteers with the National Psoriasis Foundation. We're still volunteers. And he's a great guy, very supportive of everything I've done. Um, and uh, I think he moved. I don't think he lives in the area anymore. I haven't seen him in a while. But uh, a great guy nonetheless, and apparently a fan of 1970s R&B. All right, going to try and take a couple of quick calls here. A lot to get to next hour. Original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hi, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Just a quick thing on the Generation Z. I absolutely agree with uh, Jody Foster that they are annoying. And I'm surprised at Matt Blaze because... He himself has said he hates basically everybody. Right. I mean, the one group we found that he doesn't mind is the Gen Zers. Well, if he was behind one in a line, he'd probably strangle Mm. them. I have a kid downstairs, and 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 I'll tell you why I think it's happening. They don't have the um, problem-solving skills that most generations did. And I don't know if it's because of the parents or the schools, but... And that could be very irritating. Like the other day, I had to hire the kid downstairs. He's in that in that range. He's like thirteen, fourteen, and uh, just to, to shovel the snow. And I say, "Here's the shovel. Shovel around the house and the sidewalk around the house." And he says to me, "What do you mean by sidewalk?" I said, "What? There's a street for cars and sidewalk for people. Don't shovel the cars." I mean, you had to tell him what was the sidewalk. Then he shovels. He comes back way fast, sooner than he should. I look around and the whole other side of the house not done. I go, what, what about, oh, you wanted the whole sidewalk done? <laughs> uh, and then I had to st- like walk behind him, voice like box o- operated, voice operated. You know, no, 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 the whole sidewalk, not just that little path. You know, it, it literally was almost more trouble than it was worth. And, and it was like, it's because it, I can understand if she's directing and saying like, do this, do that, and you have to tell them exactly how to do it because they can't solve the problem. That could be irritating. Uh, interesting, Rick. I appreciate the observation, and I don't doubt you for a second. I appreciate that. Uh, Joel, Charlie, all of the rest of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you next hour. And uh, no more guests, so we'll have plenty of time for your calls at 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 